This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients can earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to question yourself and ask how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Of course, rates are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. No dead fed. Hikes still on the table. A quick look back and ahead. Banks are in trouble. Getting a little silly out there. And our guest today is Howard Silverblatt, S&P Global on earnings and the real stats. All this and much more on episode number 815 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. lots to talk about because lots are going on, lots going on in the markets these days. Things are getting a little, I would say, weird out there, right? I mean, sell selling pressure is coming in and it looks like a real cat fight with the bulls and bears. Quick intro first before we get any further. I'm Andrew Horowitz and uh, I am here working hard for you, coming up with some great guests and hopefully some great insights in what is happening in the markets because I know you have a lot of questions. I know that there's a lot that's disconcerting right now when it comes to the markets. And you're wondering, like, you know, what do I do? How do I deal with this? So some of the things we talk about here each and every week are basic. Some of them are a little bit more advanced. But you know what? If you train yourself and stay tuned and keep with me, all this is going to be very natural over time. We start talking about P.E. ratios. We start talking about enterprise value versus saying, oh, what the hell is he talking about, that guy? You know what? What's going to end up happening is you're going to start to feel that you are very much in the groove with exactly what we're talking about. So I want you to spend the time, listen, gather the information from the guests, and we have a good one coming up as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of cross currents going on right now for portfolios, and people are wondering, hey, do I pick up some of the shares in the banks? What do I do right now when it comes to investing in this environment? Do I do something like, you know, do I go out and I, do I actually buy some of these regional banks right now? Or do I look at this as a moment in time that says, you know, maybe I'll go a different direction, maybe the more higher quality. A lot of that's going on. I'm starting to see a lot of concern raised about the banks more so than, you know, just the idea of investing in them. It's also about, do I keep my money there? In fact, I can't tell you the last time I recall these kinds of questions and conversations coming up with people just out there, right? People that I just meet 
uh, people that I know, people that I spend time with about what's going on with this. And you know why? Well, uh, you know, when you start seeing that people are cashing out accounts at various banks and you are talking to somebody and they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm pulling my money out. Or, you know, what do you think about the FDIC limit? Or, you know what? I have 250000 in this bank. Uh, I have 800000 in this bank. I have X amount of dollars in this bank. Maybe it's a business that has millions there, but what do I do? I got to diversify this. Don't I? Asking me questions like that, I think it's really important because the the idea is that, you know, where is it going? You know, we're getting new accounts because we put them in treasuries or investments. And the reasons we're seeing that people are moving right now is much different than we would see if just the market was being and acting negative to their portfolio. That's one thing where they have somebody they're working with or even doing it themselves. And maybe you're doing it yourselves and you're, you're not happy. Can't handle it. Too complicated. The investments are going against you. You know, what do you do? Well, in a situation where that's happening, it's one thing. But on the other hand, where you have a situation where people are worried about the the, the safety of their money vis-a-vis the banks, that's an entirely different discussion. Where is money going to go? Where should I put it? What do I believe, right? What's going on? So this is the core discussions that are going on right now. And with the backdrop of a very, uh, I would say, late to the party Fed, the government that seems to not care too much about how long it's going to take and how long they drag out the idea of increasing or dealing with the budget and the deficit and the, the, the debt ceiling, this is going to be a continuation of those kinds of, of times that we're going to see one day the banks are up 10%, 15%, 20%, and the next day they're down 20%. A news item comes out about something and the stock plummets 50% and then it's denied after the fact, right? That's what's going on right now. And this is why one of the reasons we actually added some gold uh, last week into the TDI managed growth strategy you know, early this week. And we've had it for our other strategies, both gold and silver, for some time now. Gold, uh, up until Friday, was 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 just tapping on all-time high territory. And the gold miners were doing well. Silver was doing well. And the reason for that was there was alternatives being you know, sought out away from sovereign debt, uh, bank issues, uh, currencies. The, the alternative was a lot better to get involved there than to be a sitting duck, I think, what people was looking at. So I get it. I understand. On one hand, you know, things look pretty good. We saw the unemployment number come out. Uh, three, what, 3.4% unemployment rate we went to. So the unemployment rate is going down. 250,000 ads when that was a bit higher than expectation, even though that last month was revised lower. So not a big move if you take the two months in total. But this is what's going on. So let's look back first before we get any further to what happened in April, because this is our first discussion, right, uh, since since April ended. And April actually was a decent month, right? Stocks were very volatile, not everywhere, right? The banks got smushed, some areas that got hurt. But in general, April ended higher. There was a lot of, I would say, lackluster sessions and, and a lot of volatility throughout the month. But each of the benchmark indices that we look at, the main ones, the core ones, gained grain, uh, you know, gained um, uh, 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 some at least 
modest level of returns for the month, um, except for the small caps and the Russell uh, 2000, obviously, was a problem. But investors kind of looked, I think, back and forth in April. The positive news on, I guess we could say corporate earnings, where 79% of the company's beat revenue is doing better. We'll talk a little bit about that, and I have questions for our guest today on that. Um, so we'll hold that point off. But, uh, you know, also with the the interest rates coming down, even though we see that the Fed has been pounding the table that they will continue on their increase in rate hike. We just saw a rate hike last week, right? Meanwhile, even though we saw a 25 base point hike in rates, we saw that bond yields actually came down. Kind of odd. So the Dow was uh, doing great, best month since January, which is not saying a lot, but okay, that's good. The global Dow and the large caps, the S&P 500 also gained, you know, around one, one and a half percent for the month. The NASDAQ, a slight gain. But again, corporate earnings was the big issue right there that I think that we're seeing here. And we look at um, FactSet, for example, about half of the S&P 500 companies have recorded their best performance relative to the analyst expectations in the fourth quarter of 2021. Wow. Now, some analysts are expecting that first quarter earnings for the S&P are going to decline just, and I say this, just 1.9% from a year ago, which is much better than the 5 to 7% that we saw that was expected all through April. So we're getting an interesting change in the dynamic. Now, I don't know how that's going to play out too well with the Fed because we, we, we unfortunately have to keep on bringing that back into the conversation as we see they, they are you know being very aggressive with what they're doing. So the fact is that right now we're seeing that earnings are holding up and you know, buybacks are still going on strong. You know, we do have margin pressures. There's no question about that. Even Apple's numbers from Friday. To be honest with you, not I wasn't that impressed with their numbers. The only thing I was impressed with is that they were able to keep earnings up from a year ago, but that's with billions of dollars worth of buybacks. You know, we saw the only thing that really was the services did well. The iPhone sales were up just a just a just a nip, right? Just 2%. Um, and one of the big problems was that we saw about a 40% reduction um, in some of the other areas of their hardware. And that's a big concern. And there was questions in the conference call that I was listening to about, okay, well, uh, you know, why is this happening that we saw decent numbers? It's just a from the slowdown we saw on the work stoppage back, I don't know, December, January, is this just a pull forward? Really not much of an answer to that question, but the only thing that seems to be continually helping Apple is their buybacks and their shareholder, um, you know, the givebacks. $90 billion of another share buyback was announced. That's like 7% of the company. That gooses your earnings. We've talked about that for years. We're not going to get into it right now, but um, what else do we have? Uh, in April, we also saw consumer staples, healthcare. Let's look here. Communication services, utilities, energy, financials closed up higher. Consumer discretionary, industrials, materials, information technology, and real estate closed lower. So mixed bag. Doesn't really give us a lot of insight into where people are and what people are thinking in terms of, uh, you know, just a, oh, this is a recession trade. This is a, re, you know, a reflation trade. There is no clear evidence. It looks more to me like a simple continual rotation around and around and around. 
And we are seeing a lot of signs that there is concern about a recession, right? Recessionary conditions, a slowdown possible. You know, gold buying, commodity selling um, is going on, hitting the banks hard, you know, hiding in tech. One of the things that I put out this week, uh, and I talked about on DH Unplugged, I sent this out as a note to our clients. I think I hinted about this on Twitter as well. You can follow me at Andrew Horowitz. Was a sinkhole concept, right? You know, what is a sinkhole when it comes to markets? And that is when we see that underneath the top layer of what is going on, top layer being the largest of large caps, the mega caps, the Apples, the Microsofts, you know, the the um, the, the Netflix, if you will, the Googles. You know, think of all the names right out there. Even even to a degree, the the big names like the WalMarts. And, it could be any sector, but really the bigger the bigs. But one of when you look at that, it's primarily what. Well, it's technology. And those companies have been holding up very well. If you look at the year-to-date return on all these companies, it's pretty astounding if you consider what's going on. Now, a lot of that is a uh, reversion to the mean from what happened last year where they were just obliterated, where it wasn't as bad this year, so people are piling in, where they're looking for those safety trades, right? The plays that are more conservative where they have really good balance sheet, cash cows, uh, dividends potentially, and share repurchase plans, well, those are good hiding places. So what's being seen right now is those as an alternative, and that is good and bad. What's what's bad about it is you have to wonder why people are doing that and how long does that last. And the second thing is um, it's good because it holds up the indices values. So the index values themselves, when you look at the valuation and calculation of returns and performance, for things like the uh, the S&P 500, the, the NASDAQ 100, the Russell, various indices, these are all based on what's called market capitalization. The larger the company is, the more it has an impact on the performance of the index. So that should make sense. So with that in mind, when we look at that and we compare, for example, and I put a chart up on DH Unplugged on this, when we look at the equal weighted where it just does not benefit uh, or the indices do not benefit from the from the large caps only, right? It's a, it's a broad-based, it's a broad-based average of all of the stocks in the S&P 500, as opposed to being tilted dramatically in favor of the large and mega caps. That's down for the last three months, like five and a half percent, where the S&P 500 market cap weighted normal index that we see every day is up about one percent. A 600 basis point or 6% differential showing us that underneath, as we know, there's a lot of problems. And if, in fact, we do see a crack in the overall performance of some of these mega caps, things can get ugly. But so far, they're holding up pretty well, which is really, I don't want to say astonishing, but I've seen this, I've seen this movie before. And oftentimes, there's an incredible push into these positions, but the reality strikes everybody as we get into a slowdown over time. I can't imagine the idea that we saw the earnings numbers that we've seen and the fact that the employment numbers are what they are, wage growth, um, and we're seeing manufacturing come in, that there is going to be a Fed that's going to lay off too soon, or better said, even if they do pause for a while to see how the landscape reacts in in. in 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 with that in mind, that there's going to be a, a rate cut in July as expected. It doesn't seem likely. It just doesn't seem likely unless something really, really bad happens. 
let's take a moment. I want to talk about interactive brokers because interactive brokers has a lot of really interesting programs that are available for investors. And one of the things that we want to do is, right, we want to be smart about how we manage our money. And interactive brokers, what they do is they let you manage all of your finances in one account. And that's that's something interesting. You could earn interest of, of up to 4.58% on instantly available cash balances or borrow starting at 5.33%. In that same account, you can make purchases on ATMs and you can withdraw money at millions of locations with the IBKR debit MasterCard and link it to your smartphone for contact-free purchases. So there's a lot that goes on in one place, which makes it easier on your life. That's the point there. And with bill pay, you can pay any company or individual in the U.S. by electronic check. Plus, you need to know that your broker is secure, right? That's important in all the things that are going on right now. And they can endure through all the different times, right? Good and bad. And interactive brokers, prudent and conservative risk management, uniquely positions them to pay you higher interest with a demonstrated security and financial strength. Good stuff. I want you to take control of your finances. Switch to interactive brokers today and experience the smarter way to manage your money. Go and learn more at ibkr.com slash money, member SIPC. And our guest is Howard Silverblatt, he's Senior Index Analyst, Port Product Management for the S&P Dow Jones Indices. In addition to general market research and commentary, he's responsible for the statistical analyst and analysis and commentary of S&P's DJI's Dow Jones Industrial Family of U.S. Indices, including the world's most followed stock market index, the S&P 500. Howard has been, this is, this is the thing that I want everybody to know, Howard has been with Standard & Poor's since 1977, which means he doesn't have commitment problems, right, Howard? No, but I think I'm still on probation. <laughs> I've known you a long time. How long have I've known you a long time? I think we, uh, we first met in New York yeah, some time ago. Yeah, yeah, we definitely met in New York. You signed a book. Yes, uh, for me. Thank That's you correct. very much. I have it still here in my library. Yeah, uh, but it's been a couple of decades here. Yeah, it has a been. lot of. Uh, a lot of trades under the uh, desk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about things. You know, you sent me over what you you do um, from time to time, the statistical analysis, the information that you keep. You're the keeper of the data, I call you. That's what I call you. The keeper of the data for the indices. You know, when it comes to earnings, revenue, uh, margin, just all the different stuff. When so, so let me just set the stage here. When people go and see fundamental data, on, let's just pick on the S&P 500 for a second, on the S&P 500, and they're looking at, oh, what's the EPS, what's the PE ratio, what's the this, what's the that, all that. That's stuff that you are charged with, the responsibility of making sure that's right, right? Yes, we, we as a company, and I specifically deal with that as one of the issues we go on. Uh, the attempt is to know exactly where you've been, then you deal with where you think you're going to go. But you need at least... A history you need a clear history of what it was, why it was, and broke it down, not just on an index, but a sector and an issue by issue level. Uh, otherwise, going forward, you don't know what yesterday is. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, to be very honest with you, even though I see this all the time, you know, looking in that raw data is a little overwhelming. It's a lot of it. It, it, it is. There's a lot of numbers there, a lot of crunching, uh, economist, strategists. 
you know, black boxes that are doing those. But again, knowing it, whether you're going from a fundamental basis, you know, and you're going to look on a higher level or top down or on a technical basis where you're actually going by the numbers. And the last thing you look at is the company's name right. to right. see what, what, what you're dealing with. Either way, you need to start with where they've been and where you think they're going. Right. A roadmap, so, a roadmap. Uh, from, for, otherwise, yeah. otherwise, you don't know where you're getting to. Right. That's the point there. Right. So um, I know you also uh, you, you recently uh, came down to Florida, which uh, I didn't know till recently, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna pick up on that another time. But you also mentioned to me in a, in a note that you 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 became a member of an economic club, and you did a speech or, or and you did a speech. You meet monthly. What tell me like how those things go? Oh, uh, when I came down here, which I'm down here about uh, two years now, uh, mostly down here. I still go to New York a lot. Uh, I looked around and uh, I started to join some uh, local uh, clubs and local areas. And one of them was an economics club in, in Boca, uh, which I would say is about a third retirees in there. So you've got some very good experienced people, about a third that's still working on there, and a third that are kind of in between mm-hmm. on there, you know, semi-retired on there. So you get a lot of wealth and, and variations. It's different than New York. Okay, where everything, uh, the economics club, everything is, is quantitative and coming down to the uh, eighth digit of a number. <laughs> uh, you're dealing a little bit more high, higher viewpoint on there, again, with uh, a lot of people being able to pull in experience that when I was there, this is actually what we did. And, uh, you know, so it's a different kind of experience and it's good. And I think uh, with Regards to this club, one of the good things I like about it is that you've got to support anything you say. You can't say I got it from the web. You have to specify where you got it, what your source, when oh, your source was. That's good. Uh, otherwise, someone's going to say, yell out, which you're not supposed to do, source it. So you cut out a lot of the, uh, shall we say, the politics and stuff when you start at least with the same facts. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, that in New York, you, you, you know, they, they, were, they were, you know, very sharp penciling it. And, uh, you know, get, getting down to the last final number, like 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 an eight digit, as you mentioned, of course, is, is so important. I remember there was a time when um, I was first delving into this is years ago, uh, first delving into the idea of uh, modern portfolio theory, the efficient frontier and making sure that uh, we had true diversification. And, and, and I would study, um, you know, Farmer French and I would study uh, uh, William Sharp and I, I would study. Um, um, all the different, uh, who's the guy I'm thinking of now? What, what was the guy that the, the father of, uh, of, uh, uh, Brinson B. Bauer, sure. Brinson B. Oh, Bauer, okay. these guys, all these guys. Right. And I would go to meetings and I got so good at this stuff. Right. That I would like be debating. I sat with, with Bill Sharp at a dinner in San Francisco and, and Brinson B. Bauer. And I started talking about downside, uh, variance versus just utilizing standard deviation and all this stuff. And I would, I, I would spend an inordinate amount of time looking at like, Oh, do, should we have, let's see if we move from 18.2% in international to 18.4% in international. How does that change the portfolio makeup historically and what we're projecting forward, right? Like that makes any difference. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? But at the time, at the time it was like, oh my God, that's so important. It did. And it, at back then, it definitely did more. Uh, today, it's broken more into two groups. So that 18.2 to 18.4 are by technicians. And you're setting up a lot more algorithms now. Remember, when we started in the business, there was no real programmed 
trading. You wanted to do arbitrage, you bought in New York, you sold in Philadelphia. Yeah, we were sharpening our pencils with a knife, for God's sake. Yeah, but uh, the systems do that now, so the algorithms going in, that uh, 18.2 would probably be making an action at 18.25 as compared to 18.4. So again, that still exists. It's more technical uh, and an actual trading system to system. And we see how the disruptions that could have at time when they all move in the same direction. But there's a lot more fundamental analysis going today uh, that are using those numbers that were uh, crunched by the system literally in, in a couple of minutes compared to weeks that we used to take. Uh, and then thinking about where is it going? What is the consumer going to do? Where are they going to pull back? Where are they not going to pull back? How much is, is revenge shopping or traveling impacting us? Uh, you know, what kind of lag effect we have for the uh, Fed? And each Fed cycle is different than the one before. Uh, so while you learn from the back ones, you're learning how to interpret it and reinterpret it now. Uh, so Again, a lot goes into it is, is what you're saying. And that's interesting because yeah. one of the things you mentioned was revenge shopping, right? And, and which is, you know, pretty much um, coming out of, uh, I guess that would mean coming out of not shopping, like, you know, from COVID and all that, right? So I, I recently started thinking about, you know, what's going on in the economy and how we're seeing the manufacturing dip down, but yet some of the areas are doing well, like, you know, better, better, not well, but better, like services are holding up. And I started thinking we live in the insta economy or insta economy. So- I've talked about this a lot. So if you think about it, like anything that I want to take a picture of me doing and put it on Instagram is hot, right? Cruise lines are doing better and airlines, you know, raising prices and making money. Um, travel is doing better, leisure, drinking, eating, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not probably going to take a picture. I'm, I'll take a picture of myself there, right? On a beach somewhere. And that's probably that side of the economy. Whereas I'm probably not going to take a picture of my toothbrush and put it on Instagram. Right. Or that I bought a box of cereal. So it's the Insta economy that seems to be doing much better right now out of uh, a time when we were required and necessitated us to rebuild our lives with a home office uh, into a time where we want to have experiential types of of um, of, of things that, that we do. Is that, is that what you're seeing in your numbers? Uh, yes, we. The def is definitely an expenditure and, and a different kind of a breakdown uh, now. Uh, a lot of people came out of COVID with more money. They didn't spend as much. They weren't impacted as much. And this is where the revenge shopping and the revenge travel is coming in and that we're seeing in the the exodus to some degree from the cities, uh, you know, to the suburbs, as well as the higher tax states to the non-tax uh, or lower tax states. Uh, but there's also an underlying component here, people that were hurt by COVID and where the economics is not as good. So, again, we're, you know, we, we keep debating whether we're in a recession or not, but it seems to be that in some areas of the economy there are and some there are not. Uh, if you're doing well and you ha have a, a job and you're able to manage through this, you're doing well and you're spending. Otherwise, it's not so much more. And that adds to the uh, underlying friction of the economy as well as the politics. And the difficulty the Fed has in trying to get their job done because it's so uh, – there's such a dispersion in – right? Yeah, there is. I mean, they have a limited number of tools, and obviously one of them that uh, they're utilizing is going to hurt employment. 
So uh, with all due respect uh, to Senator Warren, uh, whose positions I typically don't, you know, on a personal basis, uh, agree with, part of their goal is to hurt employment on there. You know, it's like, uh, yes, I have to um, break your finger to reset it or I have to amputate your finger. <laughs> right, otherwise, right. you're going to lose your, your whole hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this instant uh, gratification and instant information universe that we're in, as you said, the, the Instagram situation, uh, that doesn't play well. You're always going to be able to find someone who is not going to benefit from something, something that's not going to be just, not going to be right, yet you've got an overall task. In their case, inflation, uh, in, in their belief, as well as mine, uh, is worse than uh, the employment situation. And they're sacrificing one to another. So it does make it very difficult for them to do. Plus, they've got to judge when they've increased and caused enough pain to the economy for to slow down as compared to, yes, it's in a pipeline. Do I want to uh, stop and wait? So let's, let's talk about earnings and um, some of the phenomena that goes on, because right now we're seeing that there's approximately for the S and P 500, we always focus on that. We could, we could expand it to different areas, but that's a broad based enough uh, uh, grouping of stocks, right? Where I think it's actually, what is it? 498 issues actually in the S and P 500. No, there's actually, 500 companies, but 503 issues. For oh, right. example, uh, Alphabet, Google has an A and a B in there. Right. Uh, so of the 500 companies as of this morning, just so we, we could set the base here, uh, 423 or about 86% of them have reported. Mm -hmm. 326 beat. So it's a 77% beat rate of the estimate. And that's measured against I, I Apple announced last night. What was the estimate last night? Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's a high beat rate, 77%, usually about two-thirds. Part of the reason for that high beat rate and that we're seeing prices also go up and saying we're beating all on earnings this side is because those numbers were lowered over the last six weeks. So if you measure the actual results now compared to where the estimates were six weeks ago, you don't have that beat, okay? Because again, analysts have managed uh, to some degree and lowered the estimate. So yes, we beat, but it was an easier beat on there. So can you tell me what, what's the so so let me just uh, let me just for example just restate something to you. So my so everybody in the audience understands this, okay? And, and what what Howard just said was that the beat rate of about seventy seven percent. I think it was as high as seventy nine a couple of days ago, but seventy seven percent beat rate of analyst expectations right at the point before earnings are announced um, was because over the last number of weeks, there's been a reduction in the overall. And you said that the analysts are managing, we're going we're gonna to focus on that word, managing mm -hmm. that. Can you, as an example, if we were a thesaurus right now looking for a different word to plug in for that word manage, what would it be? Set the expectations. Set the expectations. So okay, what, yes. what they've done, massaged. How about that too, right? That's massage the-, the They, they could do that. Yep. You know, managing EPS used to be a graduate class. Now it's undergraduate. Ah. She's going to move to high school. <laughs> when, when it, it, If I have a dollar estimate and I come through with a dollar one or a dollar two, right? You know, forget that it was a dollar 10 a couple of weeks ago. 
If I, you're expecting a dollar and you get a dollar too, that first tick is up. Mm-hmm. You know, the market is moved. I am happy. I beat my expectations, even though I might be less than last year or less than six weeks ago. Uh, so what we're seeing, and, and this is not a new phenomenon, this has happened for a long time, is you get two numbers very often. You get the actual estimate of $1, which is done from the analyst, mm-hmm. bottom up. You go out, it's 30, 40 analysts. You put it through some statistical tests, you get the dollar estimate. And then there's what's called the whisper number. Yes, a dollar, but I think it's going to beat, and it's going to be a dollar one. But we don't, we don't really, the average person in the headline doesn't ever really. They cannot get that. Right. The, uh, but what you do see sometimes in retrospect is that he's saying, a, the person is saying a dollar, but that the house that they're, they're in, they seem to be buying a, a bit more or less of that issue going forward. So you see a disconnect. But yes, you get a whisper number uh, from what we used to call the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, right. going to the bar and right. talking to people and uh, more the, uh, the the buy side than the sell side as well. The sell side. So, so, so the point, though, is that what we've been trained, conditioned to really react on, that's what the markets are, is the headline. And everybody knows that. It's also what the algorithms react to, right? So if you see a beat, yes. that's great. Meanwhile, look at, for example, Apple's numbers that came out yesterday uh, or the day before, whatever it was. The point is they really are the same number as a year ago. Uh, and uh, growth in some of their core areas, not so great, but they have a $90 billion buyback. That's good. So the point though is, but they did come in better than expected, right? And again, that was on lowered yes. numbers and the stock has been up reacting positively. The point is it's 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 been like pushed through the system in such a, uh, I would say such a, uh, a, a nice way that was, uh, uh, you know, almost like, uh, there's like a team managing that process, right? It's, it's an elegant process of, of of bringing people into the understanding of where it's going to be, but not so harsh that they have a miss or there's a concern, um, even though their numbers, honestly, from a year ago, are just not that impressive. But the stock is trading no different than it was a year ago. But the expectations were for lower earnings. They did come through, uh, especially on the sale, they came through with about uh, two billion higher on there, higher iPhones on there. The stock's up uh, now to, uh, you know, close to a, uh, a, a new high, it's about 173. Mm-hmm. Stock's up, you know, mm-hmm. today right. about four and a half percent. But again, it is managing. Uh, in general, people as well as, as the market, you know, you, you try to manage the expectations. I can always do better, but if I do worse, there's a big penalty for missing your number. If, yeah, uh, I get it. I get it. So, so, so here we are in, in a, are we in it? Are we getting towards this, this dreaded, what has been talked about so much in general for the markets earnings recession? Is that, is that anywhere in uh, the horizon? It is. And it isn't depending upon who you, you speak to. Okay. So we've got earnings this quarter that are ending up a tick above last quarter, like 1.3%. I mean, but it was supposed to be down. So it's good. Next quarter is supposed to be up a little. It's the second half that the street has already priced in. Again, I'm not buying and selling my stock on what it did today or right this second. Where are you going to be in three months, six months, a year from now? The second half estimates from equity analysts, Okay, Mm -hmm. I expected to increase about 12 percent. 
That is a big number when I'm saying a positive 12% as compared to some people who are talking about a recession and negative. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the analyst, the equity analyst. Most of them are sell-side. So they're very positive. The sun will not only come out, but it will come out tomorrow, literally in the second half. When you look at the economists and the strategists, they have a different take on it. They're looking at it and saying, I don't think consumers are going to be flat or increase the way the equity analysts. The economists think that the consumer is going to pull back and be more selective. The economist is looking at the Fed and saying, you know, we may have priced in in the street two increases potentially, you know, using the futures mm-hmm. uh, for this year. But they're saying no. And if inflation doesn't go down, they're going to stick and they're going to increase it. And, of course, we have the debt issue coming up. So the economists are looking for a decrease, not a large one, not a recession, double-digit decrease, but a decrease compared to a 12% increase the street is looking for. That is a vast variance, enormous Somebody is going to be wrong. And if it's the street and they have to move away from that 12% or delay and say, okay, we won't get the increase till the second half of 24, prices are going to have to move. So we have a bit more risk here based on those two approaches. So right now we're in a situation where just round numbers, 5% Fed funds rate. We have the potential of a Fed trying to slow us down. We have um, a lot of things around the world, obviously, uh, coming together the same the same way. Um, an inverted yield curve. We have earnings that are, yeah. let's just call them, uh, not getting really too too dramatically hurt at this point, right? You know, from where we were. That's for sure. And and, yep. and do you recall a time when we were supposedly going to go into recession? Or, again, it doesn't matter the exact date and all that, but the concept of a slowdown in the future. And and you saw PE ratios, uh, you know, just straight PE of, of somewhere like 18s, 18 and a half. Do you remember a time like that? We do, se- several of them. Uh, and, and the similarities is uh, when you go, are going into a slowdown, uh, when the, uh, the Fed uh, is still increasing and you have uncertainty of it. And also what you have now is the political situation. Uh, I mentioned the debt ceiling coming up. Uh, and while I don't, I believe, as most of the street does, that they will find a solution, it'll be last minute. When you wait to that last minute, it has a lot of anxieties and impact in the market. Uh, but we are at a very high PE now. The current PE is about 20.4 as compared to a 16 wait, PE. The forward, the forward, wait, wait, the forward PE is no. at 20.4 or the, or the, no. uh, the trail? 20, 20 point, 20 point, <clears throat> excuse me, 20.4, 20.4 based on the current 12 months. If you want to oh, go trail. after okay. For okay. this year, yeah. it's 18.7. Right. And next year on 24. 2024, long way off, 16.6. That's with the assumption of a a huge increase. Yeah, 12.5% in 24, and and, and this year about a 10%. So again, that's a lot of optimism built in. But there's always optimism. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing I think people... We all, we all should know that there's always optimism. You look at a Jeremy Siegel. How does he come up with these numbers? He puts 10% gain on the S&P 500 in, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a stick. And he says, that, well, right now we're trading at 4,000. And uh, next year we're going to be my target's 4,400. Well, how do you get there? Well, you know, I did all this calculate. It's 10% a year. That's the long-term average or give or take, right? 
you know, whatever the exact number is. And that's what they do. They give you these estimates and then they come in and at the end of the year, it's at, you know, 4,100 says, yeah, I need to adjust that down. But next year, it's going to be 4,500. How do you get there? Well, 4,100 times 10% and we get 4,500. I mean, that, that's, that's these guys' games, right? The, the, the idea and the, I think the, 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 the farce of it all, the, the, it's ludicrous that you can, you know, try to give a good number a year out where they put people like, so for example, I've been on some shows as a guest and they ask me to target what is the S&P or the Dow Jones or what is the whatever going to be a year out. I'm like, are you kidding me? I am not, and I, if I answer that question, I'm going to be wrong. What is the purpose of me answering that question? There's too many variables, right? There's an enormous number of variables. And, and, and I, I do have to say, though, but when we're investing today, we are looking out. With good information, bad, good estimates, bad estimates. We're looking forward. Uh, and uh, so we need that one-year base, but more the logic and the reasoning for it. Uh, you mentioned Je Jeremy Siegel, who is a big number cruncher. And then he incorporates fundamentals, uh, you know, with with with, with that. Uh, when he says puts out a number there, the more important item is whether it's going to be up ten percent, four percent, ten, twelve percent. Is why and it's the assumptions and the logic behind that that we have to go. And if you buy into the to the assumptions, you know, into yes, I think the Fed is done because this, this, and this. I believe consumers are stabilizing inflation will come down quicker. Therefore, my 10% number is more than justified, even with a small pullback. That's what we have to focus on there. Uh, and it's not uh, a pure science on there. You know, you know, the old item, you ask five economists, you have six answers, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, it, it, so this is what we need to do as investors. We, we know, or we, we try to know what happened up to right this moment. What's happening over the next three months? Where are these earnings going? Is that second, looking at that second half, are the analysts right? Are consumers actually going to continue the amount uh, and maybe increase it as well as government spending? Or are the economists more accurate? Or somewhere, in, you know, that they're pulling back and, we are, and the Fed is not going to cut. You know, these will make the earnings. If you give me either of those scenarios, I can build you the earnings picture on there, right. depending upon where we go. And that's as invested what we do. And that's why you get a bid mask and they don't match. Right. So listen, so you've been doing this since 1977. You've seen a lot of different market conditions, yep. economic circumstances, uh, you know, uh, politicians in and out, feds, all that. You've seen a lot, right? Different companies, different makeup. Oh, yeah. You know, the S&P 500 wasn't always so... Actually, I want to put a pin in something. I want to ask the question. I want maybe, uh, I don't want to forget this question. I'm going to write this down because I don't want to forget this. Now I'm going to forget the other question. Okay, so now, um, so she's doing this since 1977. Do you think that there has been a much greater efficiency from companies? It has to be with technology, of course. But companies and analysts and the whole markets have become even more efficient in, in overall understanding and, and, and maybe... Uh, in the timeliness of information to prevent, even though we just had this massive regional bank failure situation going on in the background, which, by the way, nobody seems to care about, right? Unless you're in, in regional uh, banks. Well, no, regional banks have been done very poorly, but no, it's in fact impacting all the banks, including the, the higher ones, because we're getting new regulations, you're getting different numbers coming in there, the window is totally changing. Uh, and all three of those occurrences 
with different situations. Right. I mean, you can't compare the SVB, you know, which is, appears to be a managerial and regulatory oversight issue to something like Republic, which before the situation was, was a darling of the street. You know, it's a run on the bank. Uh, uh, you know, so those are totally different. But yes, I believe we've got, become a lot more efficient. That does not necessarily always mean it's for the better. Communications uh, is totally different. If something happens half a world away, it's right on my on my system right away. Right, because I we used to have to wait. We trade. used to have to wait till the earnings was the next day. We didn't know when it was, right? And and the, and, the earnings and, came out across the wire. When I first started in '77, it was a Dow wire, and literally there was paper being printed out, and you you took a scissor, you cut it, and you saw the earnings, and, and you did whatever you did. You reported it, you, you, you put it into a uh, piece of paper, because who had a spreadsheet back then? You what know, do you have, like big, bind- you had, like, big binders? Did you just have, like, big, big... We did. Uh, I, I, I have a library at, at my office, 55 Water Street, and the handwritten notes, literally, uh, on how the index was, was actually calculated. IBM, ATD, everyone with prices on there, as well as the Dow. Some of the Dow ones we had back in, you know, it was 1896. Mm. Unbelievable. I mean, so these things were done by hand. Mm. Now oh, you and it. I start with a, a, a button push, yeah. but everybody does. Right. Uh, a graduate student, undergraduate, a high school student, a push of a button. They're starting with stuff that took us weeks to go. So we've really upped the, uh, the game here for analysis because there are so many more people doing it, okay, some right, some wrong, <laughs> yeah. uh, and individuals are also in the market a lot more than they used to be. When we started out, it was, you know, pension funds were the, the main item, you know, and they were all made up, excuse the terminology, by guys smoking cigars in a back room. Drinking whiskey, scotch. drinking whiskey. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. those. So, at, 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 what know, was that called? That was back then. What was the place called? Uh, the, the, the something, was what was the place called that we used to actually do that? It was the... Uh, with with the Remingtons, the something club, the the uh, remember in, in in the city there was a place, a good place for lunch and dinner, the something club. Buttonwood. No, the, the old Buttonwood. Maybe the Buttonwood, but it was something the Iron Club, the, the, the Gun the Club, the something Gun Club, or something, and it had all these Remington statues in it. Oh, I can't remember now. It's closed since then. Like that. But, but yeah, we used but to. Today's that's what we did. market is totally different. Right. Today's market is totally so, different. Pension funds are, are strong, but nowhere near what they are. And individuals manage their own money, 401ks. My kids, they're in their 20s. Right. Okay, they go in and they buy stock. They buy a third of a stock of this, a half a stock, $50. Or These things will, you know, make a totally different kind of a market as far as the flows go, you know, into a stock. Stocks go up when more people are buying it. Doesn't mean the stock is better, but it means that there's more pressure upward. Like right. buy buy. There's, there's a, there, there is a, um, there's a question I have, and and I am relatively confident that this has been that this has been a discussion in the uh, you know in, in, in at your firm, or at least I don't know. Uh, what is the story with in consideration of how you handle the indices from a market cap weighting standpoint? Why is it that, and is that something that you've been talking about? Like, is that really the most appropriate way? to to uh, recognize the performance of the markets for the average person and investor? Well, traditionally, it was two, two indices. Uh, I mean, there's always a lot more, but, you know, the Dow, which is simple weighting, okay, the price. You add them up, 
you divide, that's it. Okay, each company had the same weight. If a company split two for one, all of a sudden they didn't count as much. S&P came in and did market weighting. Okay, so Apple has a lot more impact than a smaller company down, down the road because their, their dollar value is that much more. Mm-hmm. Okay, today we have all kinds of indices, anything you could really think of. Uh, we, you want to buy the S&P 500 market weighted the way it traditionally is? It's there. You want to buy it equal weighted? It's there. You want to buy sectors? You can buy sectors. All these different indices have different ways. You can buy indices based on earnings, cash flow, buybacks, dividends, uh, not just from S&P. Obviously, that's, that's our products. Mm-hmm. But you can go, you know, Russell has, MSCI has, and these are international ones. You want a uh, in, an index based on Italy, S&P has it. So does competitors have it. So you have an enormous number of choices that you can go out now and choose and somebody has built a portfolio based on that traditionally though when you look at how much is invested in everything it is the market weighted indices about 17 percent seven trillion dollars of the s p 500 is licensed so you go to things like vanguard fidelity i shit these things follow the s p 500 weighted so that is the current accepted methodology. But what happens when some of these companies get so big that now you have how much is the yeah. how much is the top ten weighting overall? About twenty five percent. About twenty five percent. Okay, uh, and, and and that is not a historical high, but it's near the higher end. You get Apple that's over seven percent. One company in five hundred. Okay, and yes, they have seven percent. Then you have Microsoft and. Uh, you know, Alphabet, these companies are a lot more important. And when you look at, uh, for example, the performance uh, through the end of April, I don't have the current one, okay, about 50, top 10 issues there were about 70% of your market return. That, that's, and, that's, and pretty incre- that's pretty incredible. And the top four, 52% of your return. Okay, this leads to what's called emulators, which is a very common uh, investment tool used by a lot of people. I mentioned 17 percent of the index is licensed to the index. So X, Y, Z goes in or goes out. That's what they follow. 17 percent market. That's a lot. We believe emulators are more. An emulator typically might be a, a portfolio manager, small one or, or a, a, a rep. They go in and they buy that 70% of the index. They can buy it straight. They can buy it on instruments, buy that, you know, buy, buy that agreements, however they do it, that 70%. With the other 30%, they attempt to beat the index. And they can have as little as seven, eight issues. So it's an alpha gen- it's an index, it's an index plus. It's an index with an alpha right. generation are, side fund. They are not side part. They, right. they are not licensed. If they were, I would tell them they owe me money, <laughs> the company. Uh, and we believe them to be more than the 17%. So, you know, uh, the index is, is a, a point that people look to beat. The index, uh, they, they, they will go in, they'll, they'll buy the five, they'll overweight Apple, or underweight Apple, and then have 70%. So they're never too far away. So right. the index exactly. actually those top issues 
have a lot more weight than you would initially think. I know that's not helping my argument. No, in, no, in but, that, but I just find, I find but, it, but, but it, they do have it. The bigger they get, you know? is this my concern? The bigger that they get, and the more impact they have, it just seems to me that it is. First of all, there's risk involved in that, right? If and, and I call it the sinkhole risk. Concentration. Yeah, concentration sinkhole. Okay, let me let me kind of skip over with the time we have, and just for a moment. Um, ESG. So I went to a conference back, I don't know, whatever ESG was, whenever ESG, that, 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 uh, buzzword was starting out. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Right. That, that's decades ago. Because yeah, those things it was, it was probably, it was probably 10 years, time. but it was 10 years ago when it really started to really make its way, okay. you know? So I went to, I went to this luncheon. I'm listening to, I think it was Allianz was the first, they're, they're building mm -hmm. an ESG index with one of the only ones or two or whatever they were telling us at the time. Right. And I'm like, Oh, Okay, what's this all about? Like, what are you are you going to design what this all is? And companies then have to like shoehorn in, and you know, okay, or is it like we're just you know we're coming up with some some rankings or or uh, ways to judge if these meet certain I guess goals that they put together, you know, as what they think from their morals and their values and what they think, and then testing that with regard to performance. And then this whole ESG thing just blew up like out of control, right? Now, what I knew was going to happen, and I didn't know what the name would be at that point, was companies are going to try to maneuver and manipulate to figure out how to get into these indices because all those people that, you remember the vice funds or the non-vice funds or, you know, the, the funds like the Washington Mutual, do you remember the American funds, Washington Mutual Investment? Remember that one? They would only invest in the in the in the stocks that were approved by the Washington blah 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 blah. Do you remember that one? Yeah, not specifically that one, but there, there are, were many that go back decades. Right. You know that have themes. Uh, you know, to uh, uh, no alcohol as an example, no ga gambling. Uh, there are Christian uh in, in investment portfolios they are middle east ones s&p these, as well as other places you know so so these themes uh and factor indices are very popular uh and some of them are very popular politically but those were different because those were more moral based this was going to be what we can discover that there are certain components factors that will be better for a company's overall performance, like they have good governance and, you know, all the things underneath that, right? And, and they have a good social footprint for what they're doing for the world, right? And environmentally, they're, they're, they're you know, carbon-free or carbon-neutral or whatever they're doing, right? That was the idea that all these things make for a better company. Where is this going? Well, it, it's, uh, it's going to an investment policy on there is giving individuals and corporations the ability to make that choice as compared to another choice. There is a significant amount of money in ESG, okay? Some of it morally uh, invested, some of it uh, because it's politically acceptable or socially acceptable within those circles. Uh, but the intent of these indices is to give in on these kind of companies, and if this is the kind of investment you want to make, okay, uh, these are the best companies in there. Will the, those companies, the question is, do those companies outperform, let's say, another, a different index or not? And if they do, fine, that's a good investment. Uh, but if they don't, do you still want to invest in it because you believe in these 
these qualities and, and components of it? That, that is an enormous question that is headed for the court. You know, several um, states have put in whether or not you, uh, you, you can use social in the SG in your investment. There's court cases in there. This is a much larger social question about what you can legally do. But as an individual, okay, uh, without a fiduciary obligation on there, you have to make your own choice as to, do I believe these kind of companies, whatever, dividend stocks, doesn't matter, you know, ESG stocks, are they better for where I want to get to based on my needs and my cash flow? Or do I want to buy these anyway, even though I think they may be sub to a certain other portfolio because I believe in this and I want to do something. Yeah, for but the that. problem is, is here's the problem. We could do that all day long and you and I could debate this all day long and, and the and the numbers may prove one way or the other. The problem though I have Both with ways. this is yeah, but the problem <laughs> I have is the greenwashing. You know, the fact that companies are like, hey, 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 I got an idea. You know what? We're gonna be carbon neutral. And all they're doing is buying credits. They're not doing anything. They're just buying somebody else's uh, credits, you know? Or uh, are you trying to tell me uh -oh. I'm shocked and dismayed that companies are attempting to manage yes. their image. There's that word I again. There's that word again. Manage. It's I again am shocked. So, shocked so I'm gonna I'm gonna use my thesaurus. Manipulate. <laughs> manipulate. He wouldn't say it before. I'm saying it. Manipulate. Depending upon what you're looking at, uh, <laughs> that is a term I've heard before <laughs> and I've probably thought before. Not in general, right? Uh, be, but but you know, companies as as well as individuals do try to put their best. Uh, Put forward. You yep. go out. You take. You know. You're going out somewhere. You put on uh, a nicer tie or, or or different kind of sports jacket. You know. Uh, you, you clean yourself up a little, maybe from from where you're going. Um, you, when we sat down here and we had our video on, I had my uh, my jacket and tie. Yeah. You say no video. Guess what? Yeah. My tie is off. Now. Shirtless. Shirtless. You know. No. 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 <laughs> you know, it's not something you want to see. Uh, but. You know, so so yes, companies try to put it. So that's why individuals, even now more than before, have to investigate themselves. So let, let's have to investigate what they're investing in. One of the things I want to close on it's kind of a little bit of out of order, but I just re recall I want to talk about this is the idea of um, you know what what uh, what's going on with margins. You know, we know that prices are higher, and that's an issue. We see margins Enormous. coming. Yeah, we see margins coming in, but again. You would think, you would just think logically that, okay, margin compression equals less earnings, right? I mean, that just, that goes hand in hand, that discussion. That I mean, obviously, right? Okay. Not, 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 not absolutely, okay. but that's a logical, that's a logical sequence of thought process, right? Would you agree with that? Yes. But uh, so that's so not happening. Set, well, let's set the tone here. First of all, we're talking about operating earnings. Company makes widgets. How much do I make from widgets? Forget that I won the lottery or that uh, a hurricane came in. Historically, okay, 1993, so 30 years we're going back. The average is 8.31% is the average. 8.3% mm -hmm. is my margin. The last year and a half since COVID, that's been in double-digit territory the whole way. If you want it, you spend it. Companies up to now, and this first quarter definitely saw a reduction, but totally up to the end of last year, were able to push things through. Think of the first time you went out for that steak dinner after COVID when the restaurants opened up. Uh, actually, they didn't all close up in Florida, but they did in New yeah, York. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Yeah. Well, when he closed up by us, and when I went into that stake, let me tell you, the price was about 20, I don't even remember, 20, 30% more. But you know what? I couldn't have cared less. I wanted it. Companies had been able to up, you know, product and services, push through most of the uh, higher prices. Mm-hmm. The costs, the labor, margins have actually gone up. Last quarter, okay, which we had full data on, okay, the fourth quarter, the uh, it was 10.92. 10.92 compared to an 8.3% average. Companies were able to push it through. And people were buying it. The expectation of it was going to go up. They pushed through the costs as well as a few dollars extra to make theirs. We're seeing some decreases now. Okay, consumers are a bit more cautious. They're moving around. They're going down. Uh, you know, from the from a, a higher price to a lower price, looking to stretch out. Uh, companies are not able. So margins have been declining, but they are still relatively high and expected to stay there. There is a lot of money in this economy still. And that's part of the difficulty. You have high employment. Okay, we saw the numbers today. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's on the upside as well. Uh, high em- employment. Wages are still going up. Uh, maybe not keeping up with inflation but still going up and his money being spent. Uh, Which is exactly, so, by the way, what the Fed was going to have to, have to double down on. I, I, I agree. I, I, I am in the minority of things that, the, you know, that I do not believe the Fed is going to decrease this year. Uh, and I think if I had to put a bet, you know, if they take an action, it's on the upside. Yeah. Inflation is a long place from 2%. It's. I don't believe it's it, it's one and done the way it is now. I think that they they don't want to go back to like the seventies where start stop start stop for inflation. They've got to take care of it, and I don't think the street has that uh, baked and, in. And even if fine. we get back to two percent, my friend, we're still at permanently higher prices. Yeah. Yes, you're not getting deflation. If you get deflation, it means you have a bigger problem. Right, but, but yeah, it yeah. wouldn't be the worst thing to have a little deflation from, you know, just like anything else, right? You got to do a reversion to the mean yeah. and you bring down prices, yeah. but that's not going to happen. Remember the, you remember the difference between a recession and a depression? I a do. Depression is I when do. your neighbor's out of a job. Yeah. Depression is when you're out of a Correct. job. Correct. Yeah, we don't want any of that. We don't want any of that. We're going to have to end it there. I want to thank you, as always. Yeah. Howard Silverblatt from S&P Indices. Uh, great discussion, uh, insightful, informational, uh, cutting through all the, uh, the, 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 just the, the fog. Makes me very much smarter (laughs) talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you. You take care. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition, the show, this episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Good stuff with Howard Silverblatt there from S&P. I really do uh, think that the the information we got was top-notch there. Obviously, you know, the, the, the facts are the facts, but when we understand where they come from, how they develop it, how they really crunch it down and find out a little bit more about the information from the source itself, right? Not speculation, not um, looking at this from, uh, uh, you know, selling selling a book kind of, you know, well, that's what the position I have, so I got to make it look better. Good stuff. Thanks for joining me next week. Coming up, Thomas Thornton from uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry. We haven't talked to him since, I think, uh, the end or mid part of last year. We're going to bring him back, uh, see what's going on in the Hedge Fund Universe technical analysis, what he has to say about that. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. This is Andrew Horowitz. See you soon. discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, 
The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.